0: Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, who are you, and how are you? Stand with me. Hold your Bibles up high, if you would, please. I can tell you. Lost an hour. <laughs> Didn't we all <laughs> say this is my Bible? I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, began this series, CSI, Oklahoma City, or OKC last week, and it means common sense investigation. Uh, If you were to Google common sense, you would find something like this, uh, good sense or a good judgment. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Good judgment is born out of that sound mind. The challenge is we are often manipulated into believing we're somewhere, someone we're not, and that we buy into that because people by nature, by our fallen nature, are easily manipulated and easy manipulators. We, we somehow come by that. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when Satan approached Eve, and he said... These words, when God told Adam and Eve they could not eat from one tree in the garden, can you imagine they have this entire beautiful garden called Eden? And God said, you can have anything in here you want. You can eat from any tree you want. You can go anywhere you want. You can have anything you want, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Satan, as is his norm approaches Eve and asks this one question, did God really say? Now, when that question is asked, you can immediately know that it's not a good question. It's the attempt here, and it was successful, was to create a question in Eve's mind as to not only who God was or what God said, but who she was. Are you really who God says you are, basically, without asking that question? And did God really say you couldn't eat from this tree or you would surely die? This is, in the beginning, one of the most powerful manipulative moments in the Bible. Whenever we begin to question who God is and we begin to question what God says, we are opening ourselves up to a manipulative process that is very risky and very dangerous. So I decided to go back and finish last week's message because there was so much in it I didn't get to. And so I want to talk about manipulative tools or a manipulator's tools, what a manipulator uses to maneuver us to do things that they want us to do that maybe God doesn't want us to do, And to move us away from our focus and our destiny, our purpose, our rewards that come with obedience to God, the peace that passes all understanding that comes by surrendering to God, the joy unspeakable that we can possess by simply being in His presence, because in His presence is fullness of joy. Last week, I used a scripture out of Daniel, and I'll refer to it but not read it, Daniel chapter 6, verses 5 through 10 and 12 through 16. This long short of it, Daniel is in captivity. He found incredible favor with the king, and uh, as a result of that, uh, many people became jealous. Whenever you walk in favor, whenever you walk in peace, whenever you walk in joy, and people around you are are not experiencing what you're experiencing, jealousy will set in and they will begin to try to move you away from the peace and the joy and the favor that you possess. Because they want what you have, but they're not willing to do what you do to get what you have. And it can be very subtle. It's not blatant. It's not Easily revealed. It's it's, you know, hey, you know, I know you love God and you know, I know you're a Christian, but you know, why don't you go with me on Sunday morning and let's just go, let's just go eat and run. It's gonna be a beautiful day, springs around the corner, and, and you go, well, you know, that's not a bad, because I, I am a good Christian. I am a person of faith. But how many of you know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Coming to church or not coming to church is not what saves you, it's not it's not what gets you to heaven, but let me tell you what it does do. It helps you stay saved. And it keeps you in the right frame of mind. But the subtlety of that invitation can often pull you away from this experience, which might over time make it easier and easier for you to do something that contradicts your convictions. I have a conviction about the house of God. I really do. I don't have just a conviction about my faith and Christianity. And about heaven, I have a conviction about the house of God, because I know what can happen in the house of God. We experienced something during worship that, if you missed this this morning, that you would have missed. An experience that challenges us to think in ways that God would have us think. So Daniel's experiencing favor in a kingdom that's not his, in a kingdom that is not God's. It's a secular kingdom that stood against the people of God. And as he began to experience favor, those who were uh, from that kingdom didn't like it. So they knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. He opened his windows, which meant, I don't care who sees me. And he began to pray to Israel's God, the God we pray to. And they knew that, so they wanted to somehow find a loophole they knew the king would not hurt Daniel because they knew how much he liked him. So they had to manipulate the situation and create circumstances that would cause the king to uh, do to Daniel what they wanted done to Daniel. And They knew Daniel and his convictions and that he wasn't going to stop praying. And so they asked the king to sign an edict that any body that prayed to a different God other than him would be killed, in this case, thrown into the lion's den. When Daniel heard of it, it didn't change anything for him. He had set his focus. He would not be manipulated by a 30-day edict that many or most would have been because why? It's just 30 days. I got 11 more months to pray to God. I I don't want to go into a lion's den. I I don't want trouble, so I'm just going to kind of get along. I'm just going to get along, and I'm going to compromise my religious practices, or my faith, if you will, in order to uh, fit in or to not be harmed, because after all, I have 11 months to share about my God. We start talking ourselves into things when when manipulation starts happening, or maneuvering to... Uh, make sure that we can still operate, but maybe not with as much conviction. Maybe I'll just keep my windows closed. Yeah. Daniel said, no, I'm kicking them open. Three times a day he did. They found out it was easy. Then they come to the king and say, you know what, king? You're the one that signed this edict that for 30 days. No one could pray to anybody but you. And uh, your Daniel does it every day. Well, the king felt incredible remorse because he really liked Daniel. Matter of fact, it says he tried to figure out ways to save Daniel, but he couldn't Uh, Because his integrity would be compromised if he didn't do what he said. So he throws Daniel into the lion's den. Comes back the next day, rushes back to the den, looks down, and Daniel's just fine. Lions are calm. And those who had manipulated the situation, it says they and their families were thrown into the lion's den. And the lions were hungry by then. So manipulation begins first with positive reinforcement. Now, I'll get to the part where the lion is standing. That's anything but. They were setting Daniel up through negative reinforcement. They were, they were setting Daniel up saying, if, if we do this, uh, if, if anybody prays to another god, uh, there will be consequences. That means there will be, this is negative reinforcement. We want you to do what we tell you to do, or bad things are going to happen, Okay. So, positive reinforcement is where it all begins. People try to maneuver you by simply saying, you're a good person. You're a person of faith. I know you love God, but. And then they start questioning, as Satan did in the Garden of Eden, what you believe and what God said to you and what the Bible says to you. And they begin to question the truths of the Bible. And they cause you to begin to question. There are some really smart lost people in the world. There really are. And you can't just say, well, I know more. I have the mind of Christ. Yeah, but they've studied it from an angle that appeals to the carnal mind and the secular man and the non-faith person in order to lure you through this positive reinforcement, saying sweet things to you. And conditioning you to believe they have your best in mind. It's the old story of Pavlo's dog. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I was a psychology uh, degree in, in college as well as theology. And, and Pavlo's dog was when the dog did certain things, when a bell would ring and it would come and it would get fed. And every time the bell rung it would come and get fed. So now every time the dog knew if he heard a bell there was going to be food. Now, the way they would adjust that is there would be a time that if he came and he didn't get food, it's confusing. Do you see what I'm saying? And people will feed a need in your life, and oftentimes when they feed the need, there's a hook underneath the beef. So you have to be careful because some people will tell you exactly what you want to hear because they're going to feed their weakness, which is a need for your approval. So it's conditional. It's, it's conditional. And any love that is conditional or any friendship that is conditional is a relationship without parameters and boundaries. In other words, if you do what I want, I'm going to love you. If you do what I want you to do, I'll always be there for you. And so they begin to massage the weakness in your life to satisfy the weakness in their life. So basically, it's a relationship built on weakness, conditions. Anytime there are conditions, you need to check it out. When somebody begins to praise you a little too much, you might want to have a little good judgment and go, I wonder if they really mean it. When you turn to them after they've said, let's just go and ride bikes on Hefner Lake, around Hefner Lake, and then one day about three weeks after you've done that, you say, why don't you come to church with me? Well, and they get all offended because you ask them to do something, they ask you to do something, and they don't reciprocate. Let me tell you, love has a principle of reciprocity. Whatever you sow, you reap. If you love... Eventually, you can turn hearts. It's pure. Where there is no love, manipulation can flourish. If you really love someone, you'll be honest with them, you'll tell them the truth. Now, let's talk about negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement always comes with a threat. Always comes with, it, there's really not much substance to it at this point. It's, it's still somebody trying to maneuver the way you think in order to maneuver the way you live. If I can change the way you think, I will most definitely change the way you live. If I can get someone to possibly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and He came in the world to die for their sins, unconditional love extended to them, And I begin to tell them how much God loves them, not how sorry they are. And I begin to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If I begin to to speak words like that, I can begin to change the way they see God. It's not for my benefit because I get nothing from it at all. It's for their benefit. Healthy relationships Always ask yourself that question. Who is this act or this behavior benefiting? Am I benefiting if I walk away from something I have a conviction about? But they want me there. Throughout my ministry years, I've been asked many times, especially by women, my husband won't come to church, what should I do? I said, come to church. But he he gets mad at me. Well, that's his problem, not yours. See, when you're moved because of someone else's emotion towards you, then you are controlled by the person that is maneuvering you. They control you. Well, pastor, I work, and my husband doesn't want me to tithe. Well, who are you going to obey, your husband or God? Say, but shouldn't I owe He's the head of the house. No, he's not. Not if he's acting that way. Anything that turns you away from God is not godly. You say, well, but but he, the Bible says, the Bible says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. If he ain't given your life, his life for you, he has no voice. Men have manipulated women for years. I'm the head of the house. You do what I say. No, any man who knows God says, I want you to do what God says because I'm going to be wrong more than I'm right. And God is never wrong. And the feminist movement, what happened with it was it took a left and right turn and backwards and everything else. No man or position should ever be utilized to control another human being. I know I'm treading on thin ice. I know that some of you would question, but love releases God loved us, and his love didn't come to control us. It came to release us. It's magnetic, it draws us back. Rebellion is often born out of control, not love. Yikes. School teacher. Got a note from Andy's mother that read, My son Andy is a very sensitive boy. If you have to punish him, just slap the child in the seat next to him. That will frighten Andy. In other words, don't hurt my son, but make him think that he could be hurt. That's manipulation. Let him see something that would be painful to him, but don't... don't. Make him feel pain. I just want to threaten him. Negative reinforcement that if you don't behave, what happened to little Sammy next to you is going to happen to you. Negative reinforcement tactics include the following. you want to write these down. And the reason I'm doing this today is because I felt like last week I kind of introduced the concept or idea manipulation this week I want to try to help you identify it and give you some some very clear points that will help you identify it. number one negative reinforcement tactics may include yelling that was my family the loudest one wins not the one who's right just the one who's loudest in other words every time you do something I don't want you to do I'm gonna yell at you and you hate being yelled at so you won't do it anymore that's negative reinforcement I grew up in this environment. I love my parents. I, I, I'm glad they're not really together or alive to hear this. My dad is in heaven. My mom has dementia. It's, it's, it's very hard, but, but we don't tell the truth enough from the platform to share our own experience. And I, I think my parents would tell you we grew up in a pretty loud home. Matter of fact, we'd come to the kitchen table or, you know, the dining room table, pass the salt. It was intense, like somebody else is going to get the salt. We're loud. We're intense. And I grew up in that, and so I grew up, and my, the outcome of that was I was intense, not realizing how good I was at manipulation. <laughs> you know, I always thought if I could yell at someone loud enough, they just, I, nobody likes Anybody in here like being yelled at? Do you relish that? Is it really fun? If, if you lift your hand, you're a sick human being. Nobody likes to be yelled at. It's demeaning. It, it, it's in every way disrespectful and dishonoring. Number two, swearing is one way, you know, well, you know, I don't, that, that's an offensive language to me. Number three, threatening. If you don't do this, here's what I'm going to do. Basically, what it says is, you know, I, I, it's going to be fighting fire with fire. And so, it's, it's threatening someone to alter their behavior instead of loving them to change their behavior. And let me tell you, love takes a lot longer than threats. Behavior modification is a lot more simple than heart transformation. So, basically, what what happens is we get people to behave a certain way, a way that we want them to behave, because it's comfortable to us. And if they don't behave that way, we threaten them by withdrawing ourselves and our affection, our love, our help. People do this all the time, uh, and and to to control a situation. Uh, You know, if you give something to somebody then give it to them. Don't say, now, you know what? Here's what I expect of you. The next time I come to you, you're going to have to do something for me. That's not giving. That's hooking. Well, you know, I helped you move. Yeah, you were dumb. I'm not as dumb as you. I don't help people move. That's manipulation. Why? Because I want something from you after I give something to you. If I require something from you that I've done for you, that's manipulation. But if you offer it to me because I did it for you, that's called love. Happens every day. And if you ever have done something or somebody has done something for you, and they come back to you. This is why I'm teaching this today. You can look at them very lovingly and say, I thought you did that out of the goodness of your heart, not to get something back from me. I'm so sorry I misunderstood. Does that mean you're not going to help me move? That's what it means. I don't think I can make it any clearer. Having an anger, a temper, criticizing... These are all forms of manipulation. How many of you know when someone criticizes you, the idea is to make you feel less and make themselves feel better? In other words, it robs you of being yourself. I like to dress, and some people would say, well, he's a little eccentric, and if I listened to you, I I wouldn't be me. I like to dress. I like to shop. And you know, supposedly men aren't supposed to like to shop. Well, men, real men, shop. I'm just here to tell you you have been talked out of a great delight if you have been criticized as a man for shopping. I actually have pink shirts. Why? Because I'm man enough to wear one. Take that. I've had people go, oh, you wear pink. Yeah, because I'm man enough to, boy. When you grow up and become a real man, you can wear whatever you want. What they're saying is, you dress better than me, and I don't like that. I say, I know. But they manipulate. They don't say it outright. I just got goosebumps. I like all that. When someone begins criticizing you, it is another form of manipulation that they are trying to tell you out of their own insecurity that you're not better than me, which I would say I'm not better than anybody. I just like what I do. I like what I wear. I think I have pretty good taste, but that would depend on whoever I'm talking to. If you are a Levi's man, you and I will never get along well. That is, if you don't like my G stars. So let's not talk genes up in here, because I had great genes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Help him, I hear. Help him, Lord. Help him. He is helping me. Everything I'm saying is hot off the press. You will not hear this at 11 o'clock because it ain't my notes, but it feels good, and maybe God will bring it to my remembrance. <laughs> Intermittent or partial reinforcement. This is when the manipulator keeps you on your heels, off guard. In other words, Have you ever been, don't raise your hand because all of us would, have you ever been around someone that when you start to go see them or you know you're going to encounter them, your first question is, I wonder what mood they're in. There is no consistency in their behavior. And the reason for that is, it is a great manipulator's tactic because it keeps them in charge of the meeting of the encounter, of the relationship, because you don't know. There are times they're awesome, they're charming, they're great, and then you have the time of your life, saying, and the next time you get with them, they're just slandering and criticizing others and criticizing you, and, and the list goes on. There's inconsistency, and the inconsistency or the intermittent or partial reinforcement is by design. Inconsistency in behavior creates insecurity in the target because you never know how to approach that person. If there's one thing in my life that I have really tried to fight through is whether I'm startled by information or not that I try my best to have an appropriate response. I'm anything but 100% on that, I'm not. But anymore, I try to stop and say, okay, what? How do I need to respond common sense, good judgment? How do I need to respond to this? Because, man, I've been hit with some information that I wanted to yell and scream and threaten and go down the list, and I got Bible proof that you're an idiot, and Bible thumpers always got Bible proof. And they'll hit you upside the head with the family Bible all day long. I can prove to you you're an idiot. Boom. And so they're inconsistent because they want you to be insecure. This is what terrorists do. They're always issuing threats without any patterns. There are no patterns. Where there are no patterns and there are no disciplines... There will be potential destruction. Ask yourself the question, uh, what disciplines are in my life? Now, we don't often ask that question, but it's good common sense. What do I do? Well, most people say I consistently eat. We know. You know, one of the things in my life about exercise is not to impress anybody. It's a discipline. I need the discipline in my life. I try to, I discipline how I eat. I, I try. I did have a donut this morning, but a keto says Mark Croken, have one. I don't understand this keto thing. I don't understand all of it. I mean, some of y'all follow diets that are more difficult to interpret than the Greek. Why all of a sudden now they're saying you can eat a lot of carbs. I don't know. I love it, but I'm not going there. I got my own pattern. And I'll hit you upside the head with the Bible on that one. No, I'm just kidding. It's how terrorists operate. You live in fear. You await punishment that may come, but you never know. You also await rewards that may come, but you never know. In other words, you just don't know what the outcome of that relationship is going to be in that encounter. And you can always sense it. You can't put a finger on it. You may not be able to articulate it, but you can always sense... Being around that person go, going, man, I hope, hope they're good. Right. And, and I will say this, and I said it, said it a few weeks ago, and, and I tell Suliana, our office uh, staff person that handles all of our calls, if somebody ever calls and wants to meet with me, I say, ask them what they want to talk about. And she'll call me oftentimes and say they won't tell me. So then tell them I won't meet with them. <laughs> if you can't tell her what you're going to talk to me about, we're not getting together. Because, see, that, without even realizing it, is often intimidation, manipulation to try to make me, I mean, this is not jeopardy. I don't want, I want to know, I don't want to ask, what does meeting look like? I want to know what it looks like before I get into it. I don't want to go into a meeting on my heels. You say, well, I just can't tell. You can tell. You can tell. When somebody calls and doesn't leave a message on your phone and you know that they are an intermittent uh, reinforcement, that you never know what they're going to do. Listen, when you call somebody, kind of give them a hint what you want to talk about because maybe in the past you've chewed them out, you've responded in a way that kind of shook them up and now you're calling them again you're not leaving a message. Am I making sense here? We have voicemail. You know what? You don't have to tell me you called. It came up on my screen. Call me back. Why? I don't call people back who don't leave me messages typically. I might text and say, what do you want? Before I spend 15 minutes on the phone talking about something I don't want to talk about. You say, well, why would you do that? Because I'm in control of my life. You're not. And you've let other people be in control of your life, and you shouldn't. All because you don't know, they want to keep you guessing as to what this encounter is all about. Hey, I want to talk to you. You don't have to give details. I want to talk to you about the goober you were last Thursday. Call me, please. I will not yell at you. In this mode, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Fourth thing. Positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, intermittent or partial reinforcement. Punishment. Now, this is different than what you might think. People who want to punish you have no plan to educate you. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. He doesn't punish those he loves. He disciplines. Discipline means I will teach you in the midst of a wrong done Or a situation, punishment says, I want you to feel pain, and that's it. I don't really care if you learn from it or not. You hurt my feelings, I'm going to hurt yours. That's punishment. And many people do that. And you know one of the real keys on this? I'm either going to yell at you, or I'm going to give you the silent treatment. What's wrong? Nothing. Really? Did you hear the edge there? Nothing. Why would you think anything's wrong? Really? Are you Gomer Pyle? I can figure this out. The way you're talking to me, your tone of voice, the, the dismissive response. What they really want is, I'm hurting, and I want you to hurt too. You know what we, most of us would do to that? Is because we have a, a disease to please or a, an approval addiction we will maneuver and be sucked into the vortex of that manipulation. When somebody does that to you, say, hey, you know what? Man, I'm just going to leave you to it. I can tell you're hurting right now. And I'm just going to leave you to it. And if you ever need to talk to me, let me know. But, you know, I'm going to leave this with you right now because I can tell that you're not happy. Don't try to make them happy. It's impossible. And if you do, you'll become codependent and dysfunctional. Don't try to make somebody happy who wants to not be happy. Or is trying to suck you into their unhappiness. I'm out. We say that's so inconsiderate and know No, it's not. You're doing them a great favor because they'll do that the rest of their lives. And if it works, they will stay miserable the rest of their lives. Some of you have been trying to win your mama or your daddy's affection. You're 55 years old. Stop it. When daddy grows up, tell him, you can come and see me. You say, well, that's cruel. No, it's not cruel. It's cruel to allow yourself to be incarcerated by people who want to control you. This is kind of a story of what punishment looks like. And let me tell you something. I had this revelation that, you know how kids get to parents? Is they withhold affection. Now, they'll love you, but you won't know it because of the way they're behaving. So what children do, and teenagers, they get really good at this because they know they can't talk back to you. At least in my home, you couldn't. My daddy used about a one-inch, two-inch wide belt. You say, oh, my gosh, well, he's dead. Try to imprison him over that now. I thank God my daddy had a belt so I didn't get by the baton of a cop. I'd rather get hit in the booty with a belt than the head with a baton. Come on, Somebody. As I can tell you right now, they ain't, got, they ain't a police officer in the world got time for a, a fool. Handcuff him, put him in the car, send him, let some, that's somebody else's problem. That's why we are called to help one another. A little girl was being punished for some minor infraction of the rules. She had to eat her dinner alone at a little table in the corner of the dining room. The rest of the family paid no attention to her until they heard her praying out loud over her food. I thank thee, O oh Lord. For preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I don't know who won that battle. But I'm telling you, those parents had to go, oh. I will punish you, mama and daddy. Smart. It's innate. It's born into our fallen nature. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to withhold. I'm going to call you my enemy. You know, you can call me whatever you want. But see, that that type of thing right there moves us to compromise what needs to happen. My prayer and response to that would have been, Lord, thank you that my children are brought up in the way they should go. They're not going to depart from it. Just come back with a loving response. Punishment, if you do something that I do not like or want, I will hurt you. Punishment comes after the attack, whereas negative reinforcement comes before it. In other words, negative reinforcement threatens you and gives you the information you need to not do what I don't want you to do. Punishment says you did it, now you're going to suffer. I want you to get these in your head. Common sense. Why are they being nice to me? Are they hanging a carrot in front of me? Am I being maneuvered to do something I don't want to do but I feel compelled to do it because I'm being promised something I may never see? Punishment alters behavior it doesn't change hearts it hurts hearts it doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and this is what makes this very difficult is some people feel like that if I say no I'm not being loving you know God says no to those who don't receive him he will say no someday and I hate to say this and it may sound harsh and I don't mean it to But God says, I'm giving you a free will. You get to choose life or death, blessing or cursing, heaven or hell. You get to choose. And one day, when all of this wraps up and the end comes, there will be those who said no to God. And he told them that all who call on my name shall be saved. He said, I just want you to know that. I'm giving you information, but you are free to choose your eternity and your destiny. And the day will come, and I'll talk about this when I talk about uh, reinforcing these things in your life so that nobody's able to manipulate you. The day will come, it says, he will separate the goat from the sheep, those who chose not to accept him. God made it very clear. And that day will come, and there are boundaries, and that's a boundary of God. So you know what, if you've refused to accept me while on earth... I'll have to refuse to receive you in eternity. It, it, there's no manipulation. That's bound, a boundary. All boundaries are are honest, it, uh, honest thoughts, honest lives. This is, this is what I cannot allow. I will not allow myself to be yelled at because that's a boundary for me because I grew up with it, and I cannot deal with it, so I will just have to dismiss myself. If anybody starts getting mean, I'll say, you know, I love myself too much to allow this to happen. And I love you too much to enable you to do it. You see what I'm saying? And so that's, that, that addresses the manipulation, which is what? Yelling, criticizing, threatening. I have a boundary, and I will not allow that boundary to be broken because it protects me. God loves me, therefore I have to love me. You have to love yourself enough to not let people run over you and control you. Then the last one, number five, is traumatic one trial learning. Oftentimes, when we failed publicly or we have made a mistake, or we have been unsuccessful at something, that one experience oftentimes is rubbed in our faces. And you can live your whole life when people keep taking you back to the place of your failure. You've been divorced. You've been divorced numerous times. And then somebody takes you back there. They are manipulating you into believing you're never going to be a good spouse. I tell people, I had one friend who been married five times. I said, we're believing number six is going to be the best. But most people, manipulators, would say you're a failure. You'll always be a failure. You'll never be able to love. I say, keep on trying till you get it right. You see the difference? God's an encourager. God would say, you know, exercise, discipline, learn, learn. But people who are manipulators will always hold your past over your head. And anytime someone does that, it will alter your strength and ability to get to your future. I've had three or four people on my staff when I had my previous church that had spent seven, eight years in prison. Some of my dearest friends right now are ex-convicts. They say, how can you do that? It's real easy. They learned. I learned. We love each other. I don't ever throw that in their face. Well, you'll never be anything because you've been in prison. I think, you know what? That might have been your degree. you got a bachelor's and master's in what not to do. You're going to be better than anybody now. You're smarter than the rest of you. I ain't going there again. Don't look back. Don't keep bringing it up. Well, you know, we don't know about you. I know this. God is a redeemer, a restorer. His plan for you never changed because you made a mistake. It remains the same today as it ever was. Whatever you went into that prison with a call on your life, that call is still on your life when you exit that prison. And you can say, well, there are laws. You know what? God's laws always supersede man's laws. I don't know how that works, but they just do. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. So basically, I can reduce this down, and you've got some of the points, but just make sure to use good common sense, good judgment, say, you know, why are they treating me this way? What did I do? And even if I did something, do I deserve to be treated this way? How would God treat me? What would Jesus do? The WWJD, would Jesus ream me out for making a mistake? Or would he put his arms around me and go, I just want you to know I know you hurt right now. And I just want to hug you in your hurt. I don't want to judge you in your hurt. We all have a past. That's a given. Now, some of you don't think you do. You've lied to yourself for a long time. And you're going to lie yourself right into eternity. But when you wake up one day and you realize, I'm no better than anybody else. I got a past. It may not be as publicly scorned as somebody else's, but we all have a past. We've all made mistakes. And we we look and we go, I can't judge anybody. Why should I want to control anybody? Why would I want to criticize anybody to try to make myself feel better? That's sick. And it's sick for us to allow it. So rise up and be strong. God has a plan for your life regardless if your first grade teacher, your sixth grade teacher, your twelfth grade teacher. Said You're the dumbest person in the world. You'll never amount to anything. Those words stuck with you and manipulated you into believing you could not be who you dreamed of being. They're not in control of your life. You are. And you can allow God to move you instead of mankind To manipulate you. Had people didn't want me to come back. Try to manipulate me into believing that God had removed his hand from my life. Why is he preaching again? Because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance. You're not talking me out of what Jesus called me into. I don't mean to be mean. I just got to tell you, I'm not going to be manipulated by the opinions of society. Nor should you. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It matters what you did about what you did in the past. Did you respond with repentance? And if you did, that past thing, God goes, what? When did you do that? I don't have that in my book anymore. That's not there. You know, I know it's in a lot of books. Everybody keeps record of wrong, but love keeps no record of wrong. So, if somebody has a record of your wrong, say, you don't love me because love does not keep a record of wrong. If you love me, you're not bringing up what I did. Or didn't do. You're bringing up what God did. And what God can do. So just go out being happy today. And when your mama or daddy calls and says, I'm about to go to heaven. And if you ain't been coming and seeing me all year, I'm going to write you out of my inheritance. Say, you know what? God is my provider. Do what you got to do. That will freak them out. Because they're wealthy and they've hung that over your head for your whole life. And they're mean. They're mean to you. They're mean when you get around them. But you keep going because the carrot is in front of you. When we die, you're going to get a million dollars. Is it really worth it? Some of you go, yeah, it is. You're the donkey and the money's the carrot. I would say something else when we're in church. Well, what would that be? I'm not going to tell you. But it is in the King James. I could say it with conviction, but I won't, because there are children in the house. It would make a far greater impact because you'd remember what I said. Let's pray. God, you're awesome. You're awesome. You never try to manipulate, intimidate, or control your love. And you love. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be those of you who have never received the love of God. You've been threatened with hell your whole life, which is why you left the church. You threat, threat, threat. If you don't do this, you'll go to hell. If you don't do that, you'll go to hell. Instead of hearing these words, let me tell you something. We have promises that state very clearly that God sent his son into the world to forgive the world. That the world through him might be saved, not condemned. That's why God sent Jesus. He didn't say, If you don't do what I say, He said, If you'll just do what I've offered, there is eternal life and there is heaven on earth for you. I want us all to pray this prayer. Those of you that have never received Christ, pray this with me. Those of you watching online, pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you for sending your only son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I call on your name, and as of today, I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.